Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Um, breakfast and the class today is dedicated in loving memory and Lilui Nishmat Adina Bat Aviva and Yoram Alea Shalom on what would have been her 19th Hebrew birthday, sponsored by her sister Tali Paknush. Breakfast and the class is also dedicated in loving memory of Rachel Silvera Alea Shalom, Lilui Nishmat Rachel Bat Polisa, sponsored by Carol and Maurice Silvera. Breakfast and in the class as well, dedicated loving memory, Lili Nishmat Esther Bat Victoria, Aliyah Shalom, sponsored by the Shwai family. Uh, the cold brew today is uh, brought to us by our sponsors, Michael Dweck and Sonny Nakin, Azaku Baruch. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Let's keep all the uh, sponsorships coming, Rabotai. It's what helps us keep the lights on and uh, everything running in the synagogue. Okay. God bless. I want to ask, uh, I want to start by asking a question. The question I want to start by asking is, a very simple one. All right? Very simple question. Um, I, I remember when I was living in England, so I was running um, an organization called Chazak. It's something we started in England, and then we opened up in Los Angeles, and we opened up over here as well in New York. And this organization, it operates, the point of it is to reach out to Jews that are maybe not as uh, connected to, uh, to their Judaism. They didn't maybe grow up with it. They, did, they didn't go to a Jewish school. And to try and connect them to Judaism in a beautiful and accepting way, okay? So people always used to ask me in London, how come I didn't have a synagogue? How come we didn't run this organization out of a synagogue? So my answer was actually quite simple. I said to them, you know, imagine uh, um, I opened up Chazak in a car wash instead of a synagogue. They said, why would you do that? I said, if I'm trying to reach out to Jews that are not so religious, they would probably in a car wash... 12 times a year, you wash your car once a month. How often they're in synagogue? One day, you're Yom Kippur. Some 12 times more likely to see them in a car wash than in a synagogue. I have a question for you, Rabotai. If it makes sense to choose to set up the place of operation in a place where you're going to see them the most, so why is it that Abraham sets up his outreach organization in the middle of the desert? It's a strange thing. Who's there already? You know, you get a couple of travelers walking back and forth. You get a couple of angels, right, that decide to pop in. But that's not exactly, you know, Champs-Élysées. It's not exactly Madison Avenue. It's not exactly, you know, uh, Hyde Park. You know, Abraham should have put it in a place where they had the maximum amount of people passing by. That would have been an ideal place to be able to set up his organization. Why does Abraham choose to plant his Kiruv organization, his outreach organization, in the middle of the desert. And I want to share with you, Rabotai, an unbelievable concept, a concept that I think stretches far beyond Kiruv organizations, and in fact impacts the, the idea and the concept of succeeding in building anything in the spiritual world. The Gemara tells us that if not for the great Rabbi, Rabbi Chia, Torah would have been forgotten from the Jewish people. What did Rabbi Chia do? He saw that the people were forgetting the Torah learning. They didn't know. So he went out and he planted pishtan, flax. When the flax grew, he took the flax and he turned the flax into linen. Then he took the linen strands and he wove it into a rope. Then he turned the rope and he turned into, he tied the rope and he turned the rope into uh, giant rope traps. Then he laid the traps in the forest and he caught deer. Then he slaughtered the deer and he gave the meat to poor families. 
and he used the skins to make parchment. Then he took the parchment and he wrote the sefer, the five sefarim, the five books of the Torah, on the parchment of these uh, deer. Then he took the five books of the Torah that he had written, and he took five young students. One of them he taught Bereshit. To one of them he taught Shemot. To one of them he taught Vayikra. To one he taught Bamidbar. And to one he taught Devarim. And when he finished, he told each of them, you go to that one and learn the other four, and they'll teach you the one that they know. Through that process, each one of these kids became a tremendous Talmud Chacham. They were able to teach each other, and that's how they grew and learned the Torah. And through that, Torah was not forgotten from the Jewish people. Asks the Vilna Gaon, I don't understand. I get Rabbi Chia, you're trying to communicate to teach Torah. But why in the world is he starting by planting flax? Why does he become a farmer and then become a butcher and then become a net weaver and then become a, you know, a hunter and then become a sofer? Go buy a Sefer Torah. Right? You don't want to buy the Sefer Torah? You don't have the money? Fine. Go buy parchment. You don't have the money to buy parchment? Fine. <laughs> right? Go buy rope. How much time would he have saved if he just would have went to the stinking uh, the store and bought rope? And then he could make skip the whole stage of planting the flax, waiting for it to grow. Majnun, it sounds like. Right? The Vilna Gaon answers something unbelievable. Rabbi Chia understood that what he was trying to do was rebuild the Torah of the Jewish people. That's an unbelievable job. It's a very powerful job that needs to get done there. And Rabbi Chia understood that if I buy the rope, or if I buy the Torah, or if I buy the trap, or if I buy the skins, any one of those things could have been done or could have been created by someone who had any sort of ulterior motive. It would not be 100% pure L'Shem Shamayim. The guy who's writing the Sofer, maybe he needs to feed his family. So he's not thinking about the Torah when he writes it. He's thinking about his new house, his new car, his new whatever. So those machshavot, in a certain sense, on a foundational level, there's a flaw in the foundation of what he's trying to do. So much so, that the Vilna Gaon asks a follow-up question. I get you don't want to buy the rope, you don't want to, fine, no problem. He said, so buy the sheep. He says, even if you buy the sheep, since a sheep is a domesticated animal, it involves a shepherd. What did we had the shepherd raise the sheep? Masha'enken, it's the uh, what's it called? The deer. The deer itself is something that actually it completely runs in the wild. There's no human involvement at all. It's completely natural. You know the the uh, Baal, the uh, Ben uh, excuse me the Babasali was once asked by uh, one of his family member. He used to take water and make a beracha on it and give the beracha, the water to people. As a sigula for if washing them out for other things for beracha, so they asked him, how come he doesn't do like other rebbe's where they give uh, lachaim on whiskey or on wine or on arak? And the Baba Sali answered, he said, every one of those things is not a hundred percent natural, and therefore it could be that along the way some other machshavot were put into it. Water, I know, came, comes directly from God. It's pure chesed from the Ribonosh Olam. So if I want my Biracha to go on it, I'm going to put it on something incredibly pure. The Vilna Gaon said, from this Gemara of Rabbi Hayah, 
He said if there was ever a shul that was built 100% L'Shem Shemaim, what does that mean? Not that the person gave a donation to build it, but that this, the, the hammer that they used to knock in the nails was made from wood that someone did L'Shem Shemaim. The axe that they used to chop down the wood was made by someone L'Shem Shemaim. The guy who poured the concrete, he said L'Shem Yichud before he poured the concrete. If they built a shul, that was 100% made, L'shem Shamaim, it would be impossible to pray in that shul and have a thought during your prayers that was anything but the prayer itself. You would not be able to think about your business or about your family, about anything else. It would be 100% pure because the foundation would have been built the right way. I think this is the deep meaning of what it means when our rabbis tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu could not come into the land of Israel. Because if he did, and he built the Beit HaMikdash, the Beit HaMikdash could never have been destroyed. So even when the Jews sinned, and God destroyed the temple to be able to allow the Jewish people to live, and that should be a kapara for them, the Beit HaMikdash would have been indestructible. You want to create something which is indestructible? You want to create something of spirituality which will last forever, Rabotai? Make sure that all the steps that go into it are 100% pure and it will be impossible, impossible to destroy. Whether it's prayers, whether it's tefillot, whether it's bikur cholim, if you would do something that's Hashem Shamayim, um, there's no place for the Satan to be able to destroy it. I want to express this idea perhaps on a scientific level. You know, when a person uh, in their brain, they start forgetting things, why do we forget? How come Alzheimer's or dementia, how come that exists? How come human beings get sick? The reason why we get sick is because the properties of our cells eventually deteriorate. It's a process of entropy as over time, things slowly start to break down. But that's true about something in the physical world. In the spiritual world, when you do something and it's pure, it can never erode. Why? Because in the spiritual realm, there are, there's no deterioration. There's no breaking down of the parts of something, which I think is why we say that when a person dies, they don't take their money with them. They don't take their physicality with them. Even the body itself breaks down, but the neshama and the mitzvot, those things, they last forever and ever and ever. There's no erosion. In shamayim, you'll experience the mitzvah that you did in this world, in the moment of joy that you did it with. You gave tzedakah, you really wanted to help someone. In that space, in olam haba, in a thousand years, you'll still feel the warmth in you that you gave to someone. You'll still see the smile on that person's face. What a magnificent concept. Rabotai, I want to wrap this up. So now we understand. Abraham Avinu, he wanted to start a revolution. He was the only person that believed in God. And he knew that he could move into a building, take the ground floor of some skyscraper. But who built the building? Who, built, who put the streets together? Who made the sidewalk? Who, where, where does that come from? Abraham Avinu understood that in a place where there was nothing and there was nobody, he could build it exactly the way he wanted to with 100% purity. And that would be a legacy that would last forever. We find this idea mirrored. When Abraham starts the teaching of monotheism as a person in himself in the desert, 
actually manifests itself later on when the Jewish people leave Egypt. God takes them on a 50-day journey after they leave Egypt and He gives them the Torah. Why in the world does God give them the Torah on Mount Sinai in the middle of the desert? Like they say, hold on, wait a minute, bring them to Israel. How long would it have taken if they would have went straight to Israel? They could have received the Torah on Harabait. They could have received the Torah in Jerusalem, living in the houses that everyone had already built that they just moved into. The answer is no. God says you're going to live in houses that I built you. Now we understand, Rabotai, why it's so important that when the Jewish people left Egypt, God God built for them uh, huts. Why God built for them huts? Who cares about the huts that God built for them? Who cares about the fact that they were dwelling in, uh, in, you know, in clouds of glory? God could have taken them into Israel and they could have been in the La Rome Hotel. They could have been in the, the Waldorf Astoria, the David Citadel. The answer is, of course they could have been. But Boreo Olam said, if I want to give you the Torah, I'm building the houses you live in. I'm pull, putting up the Sukkot for you. However temporary they were, they were things that were built with purity. Rabotai, if you want to build a family whose values will last forever, recognize that the foundation is the most important thing that you could possibly do. You want a marriage that's going to last forever? That marriage needs to be special. Mm-hmm. Our rabbis teach us that the thoughts that a person has in the time when they are being intimate with their wife are an indelible imprint on the child that they have from that intimacy. And when the person thinks l'shem shamayim thoughts, when they're with their wife and creating a child, the child that's built from that, unbelievable. So much so, the Gemara tells us that Rabbi Yochanan, he would sit outside of the mikveh and, when, and he would study. And when the women would come out after the mikveh and they would be on their way to, uh, to go to their husbands, the first sight they would see out of the mikveh was one of the great sages of the Talmud sitting and studying Torah with his face on fire. He didn't see them, but they saw him. And the result of that would be that they went from a place of purity. We all understand how our mindset, how where we come from, informs the decisions that we make. And when a person does it in that way, suddenly it can change everything. Rabotai, so how does one do that? There was a great sage, his name was the Baal Shem Tov Mimichlzdat. He was a genius from the time he was a young boy. There was a local uh, graph, like a count, who found out that there was this brilliant young scholar amongst the Jews that everyone was talking about. So he wanted to see for himself how smart this kid actually was. So he sends a royal invitation to the kid to come visit the count in his castle. The kid comes, but the thing says, come by yourself. The kid comes, he's maybe six, seven, eight years old. He comes to the castle. The count gives an order to everyone in the castle. At this and this hour, when this young man comes, I don't want a single person in the castle. There's 50, 60, 70 rooms. I want to see if the kid can find me in the castle by himself. Let's see how smart he is. The count sends everyone home. The kid arrives at the castle. There's no guards. There's no maids. You know, there's no butlers. There's no royal courtiers. There's nobody there. The kid looks inside, and meanwhile, the count is peeking through the curtains of his room, of his bedroom. 
And all of a sudden, he sees the kid look around, realizes there's nobody there. The kid makes a beeline for the building. Within maybe a minute and a half, there's a knock at his bedroom door. The kid, the count opens the door, and uh, the Baal Shem Tov and Michazad is standing there. The count says, I don't understand. I have so many ballrooms. I have so many parlor rooms. So many areas, the kitchens, the bedrooms. How in the world? People who work for me, it takes them three months till they figure out the whole castle. How did you get to my room in just such a short amount of time? How did you figure out where I was? And this little boy says to the count, he says, you know, I stood outside the castle. I saw that there was nobody here. What kind of castle has nobody in it? Right? Only in Beauty and the Beast that exists. Right? What kind of castle has nobody in it? Right? I understood that you were testing me and you wanted me to find you. So I looked up at the castle and I looked at all the windows. All the windows had the shades parted. They were all open. There was only one room where the curtains were pulled, where the curtains were closed. I knew that all of those rooms, the, ca- the, win- the curtains were open because that's what you do when you have beautiful windows and a beautiful view. You keep the windows open, you keep the curtains open, you want a view, you want air. But I knew that there was one room that had the curtains drawn. And in that room, the person who was testing me to see if I could find him wouldn't want me to be able to see him. So I just counted how many windows there were to the one room that had the curtains closed. And I came directly to that room, up the stairs, third room from the right. The count was blown away by the kid's genius. Rabbi Utai, the Baal Shertu and Michuzdat learned an unbelievable lesson from the story. He said a lot of times, a person is trying to find God in their life, and they can't find Him. Their curtains are closed. Mm-hmm. They don't see where He is. But you know what? Every other area in your life, there's no blockages. There's no blockages if you want to go to the movie theater. There's no blockages if you want to focus on your taxes. There's no blockages if you want to sit for three hours and watch a movie. All of a sudden, you sit in a class, in a Torah class, after 10 minutes, you're like, oh, fuck me, I gotta get out of here. Right? You're supposed to sit in the bed to get it. You're supposed to pray. Oh, Shachari is taking too long, Rabbi. It should be 30 minutes. It was 40 minutes. How come it's difficult only in the shul, only in the class, only when a person's trying to find God and find spirituality? The answer is because God is saying, come find me. And he's closing the curtains. But it is the feeling itself that you are unable to find or that it is difficult to build, or that it's hard to put together, that illustrates to you that that is exactly where your destination should be. There are many things in this world that you could build easily. Lego, a company, you could build a lot of things easily. But there's certain things that are very difficult to build. And when you see that something is hard to build, and only builds when you build it 100% properly, in a yesodi manner, in a foundational manner, a marriage, a family, Uh, your ability to pray, your understanding of Judaism, your connection with Torah, your development of self, when you see that that's a difficult thing to attain and you feel that the windows and the curtains are closed, you know that is exactly where Borei Olam is. Amen.